Support for this season of Check the Pantry comes from Bay Realty. Bay Realty has been listing and selling homes, lots, acreage, multifamily, commercial properties, and property management in the southern Kenai Peninsula since 1974. Learn more and view current listings at bayrealtyalaska.com or by calling 235-6183. Additional support for Check the Pantry comes from the Grog Shop Wine Club which each month provides members with two or three bottles of unique wines that are currently unavailable in the Homer market. These wines are curated by Patrick Driscoll, who has worked at Michelin Star Restaurants in New York and is the only Level 3 sommelier in Alaska. More information at 235-5101. Riesling is my favorite white wine. It's difficult to say why, at least in a sentence or two. The range of flavors and textures are vast. One Riesling can be as different from another as orange juice is from 7-Up. Fortunately, we've got the Grog Shop's Patrick Driscoll to guide us through a maze of umlauts. From KBBI in Homer, Alaska, my name is Jeff Lockwood, and it's time to check the pantry. to the idea of branded wines. There are kangaroos and penguins and bicycles and feet staring down at us from the shelves of every grocery store and wine shop around. They spend a lot of time marketing and focus grouping and positioning to associate themselves with some trait that some demographic supposedly wishes to embody, and it works. They sell a lot of wine. The playbook they're using, a distinctive label, a catchy name, a low price, and a cheerful, easy-to-drink liquid inside, was, you may be surprised to learn, invented in Germany in 1923. A German winery looking to rebuild its business after the war packaged wine from the excellent 1921 vintage in a bottle labeled with a picture of a nun in a blue habit and exported it to the UK, where sales began to rapidly take off through the 1930s and exploded into millions of bottles after the next war. It caught on in the US too, thanks to extensive marketing campaigns before the bottom fell out in the 80s. Suddenly, Blue Nun was the drink of your grandmother, and cool people drank White Zin. Since it was practically synonymous with German wine to the general public, Blue Nun's fall from grace cast its shadow over the rest of the country's bottles. It was made in a recognized style, Liebfrau Milch, or Beloved Mother's Milk, which did have quality control standards requiring it to be made from certain grapes in certain regions, but it was decidedly not intended as a showcase wine. It was supposed to be exactly what Blue Nun was. Cheap, drinkable, sweet enough to cover anything unpleasant. The original Blue Nun all the way through the 90s wasn't even made from Riesling. It was made of a child of Riesling, Müller Thurgau. But it was German, and the only German grape anybody knew was Riesling. So Blue Nun must have been Riesling. Therefore, Riesling is sweet and cheap and something you leave behind as your palate improves. Just about everybody has these kinds of thoughts about Riesling early on in their tasting adventures. Let's look at why those thoughts are wrong. Mm-hmm. 
Live. <laughs> Very exciting. I'll get rid of the screw caps first because that's not really a great background sound. <laughs> it's not the same as, uh, as a, nice, I, I, a nice cork popping. Yes, although I would still rather everything was in. Something other than cork. Could be glass, could be Selvin, but... So you're one of the anti-cork uh, wine I guys? Yeah, there was a yeah. bottle right here of uh, something, some French thing that says on it, corked. Yeah, I, th I think my worst experience with that, and I had gotten an incredible deal on, I think it was 95 Cheval Blanc, and it was just mispriced, and so I was able to buy it for 50 bucks a bottle, mm -hmm. instead of, I mean, and back when I bought it, it's only been like 250, but, and now it's seven or 800. We went, you know, went through five or six and saved the last one and saved the last one, and then, Opened it and it was as corked as a wine can be. And yeah. It's like, oh. lovely. <laughs> there we go. Oh, oh, oh! Perfect. Look at that. <laughs> can I work for you one day? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so that was. Uh, so we're we're actually we're sitting here and we're 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 talking Riesling because Riesling is like maybe the most underappreciated of the major grapes. I think. Would you, of the, I, I, I would say. It, among the general public, yeah. yes. But I know a ton of pe master sommeliers and masters of wine who would call it the noblest of all grapes, red yeah. or white. I mean, and that's like Jancis Robinson, Hugh Johnson, you know, big names. And then me. <laughs> Not a big name. <laughs> You're almost there. You're almost there. But but it's actually kind of appropriate that I just opened that bottle. I actually drink this all the time. I love this stuff. It's, and uh, but it's it's, it's dynamite. Sparkling Riesling. Yeah. Which is not something I don't think I'd ever have one until I had that. See, and it's incredibly popular in Germany. And actually you see Zecht a lot on the East Coast, but I think that's just true for European wines in general. Yeah. You there's just a lot more access. Yeah. Although these days who knows. <laughs> so it's called it's called Zecht? Uh, yeah, S E K T. Um, which is just like Prosecco in Italy or Cava in Spain. It's just their their term for sparkling wine. And how do they make it? Is it, uh, is it the method or is it? Uh, is it can it a... be either. Okay. So in this case, it's done in the Charmat method, which okay. is fermented in one giant batch and then bottled. Right. The higher end, you get into that method champenois where everything happens in the bottle and it has to be riddled and disgorged. Yeah, and yeah. It, much more labor intensive and that's much more expensive. Yeah. <laughs> but delicious. We already, we already did that show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. You know, and the first thing that, that I always notice when I when I drink it is that, you know, the, 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 common, the common thing is among, and which I assumed too when I was, you know, younger and, and I didn't know anything about wine, is that people think Riesling and they think sweet. Right. And I, I think the, the reason that Riesling is so well respected and, um, is that it is so incredibly versatile. I can make bone dry sparkling wine, off dry sweet sparkling wine, and then in terms of still wine, it can go from like searingly acidic, like take the enamel off your teeth dry. Which is very, yeah. like this stuff right. is, is kind of like that. You know, it almost it almost has that like kava feel. Yeah, where it's it does. Like, Whoa, you know, it's like very sort of intense and you're, you're almost lemony, you yeah. know, in the way it feels. No, 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 for sure. I don't think, it's funny, because, and I get this from Zect a lot, because, I mean, my kind of typical Riesling notes are that honeysuckle, peach, nectarine, whereas this, 
it's got the apple and pear and that sort of thing. Yeah. But it, it, it doesn't have those other elements, and I think that that's just something to do with the carbonation. But yeah, Zecht from Germany is incredible. I will say also Austria makes some absolutely dynamite ones, both from uh, Grunewaldliner and mm. Riesling. Ooh. I don't know that I've ever seen, even in Austria, a sparkling wine that was done in any other method than the champagne method. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do tend to be more expensive, but I think a lot of times what you pay $50 for in, you know, for a, a good Austrian Zecht is what you're paying $150 for out of champagne mm. for, for that quality level. Right. So is is uh, is that is that by definition Riesling or is it? No, it's just their term German for yeah. It's just German. <laughs> Maybe now's a good time yeah. to sort of bring up the the terminology thing because oh, yeah. I know like one of the things of when I first started trying to understand Riesling, like the the labels are like kind of inscrutable and they're all in German <laughs> and even like they're long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And they're they're sort of hard to pronounce. So I'm going to let you explain the sort of (laughs) before we get into the full on like actual still Rieslings here. Why don't you just give us a a sort of overview? So if we're talking about Germany, I think the first thing that you would look at is they're either going to be labeled QMP or to say Qualitätswein mit Prädikat or QBA, which is Qualitätswein Bestimmer an Baugebiete. So the mid, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, having spent a f- good number of years in Germany growing up, yeah, these ones I you're these not ones stumbling. actually roll off my you're tongue. You're not stumbling <laughs> over them at all. I'm impressed. That Bestimmeranbaugebiet just means f- f- definitely from this region. Okay. So it's kind of like the same thing as um, VDP in France. Yeah. Like it says Languedoc, it's from there, but you're not you're not getting any further than that. Right. With When you get into the QMP wines, then there's another level of quality designation. And what makes this fun is that these, I, they like to change the laws like every three years. <laughs> um, <laughs> but th- this one doesn't generally change. So the lightest in general is gonna be Cabinet, then Spätlese, which just means late harvest, Auslese, which means like selected out, Baranauslese, which means we're actually selecting specific berries. Um, and then um, Trockenbaranauslese, where they only pull berries that have been uh, fully uh, desiccated by botrytis. Okay, so what's botrytis? Uh, so it is a fungus that attacks the grapes, but it, it does add an interesting flavor. It, it's really unique. And I mean, it, it's kind of what defines Sauterne or the, Sauter is probably really the, the, the famous spot for, for that. But, but what it also does is it, it leaves all the sugars alone, interestingly, and it takes all the water. Mm. So it raisinates the grapes. And so then when you go to press them, I mean, your juice to liquid ratio is insane. Mm. I'm trying to think. They generally can only achieve about 6% alcohol or 7% because the sugar is so high that it kills off the yeast. Wow. Yeah, I've actually seen them as low as like three. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, Tokai Essentia where it can actually be imported and considered food because it only gets to one and a half percent. Wow. Or sometimes two, but mm-hmm. that, that you know, yeah. that's Listerine. <laughs> and only, Except this is much better. <laughs> so, so Botrytis, it only affects grapes, right? And does it affect like every year? Is it, no. is it a thing every year? Or no. is it some years are worse? Um, well, it, it's funny, the worse or better thing because well, more or less. Yeah, yeah um, 
like in France, you're pretty well guaranteed it every year, um, just the way that the land sits. In Germany, not so much. Uh, in Austria, you get it almost every year. There are spots in California. What, what really helps it is to have a really foggy climate. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and that damp moisture kind of attracts that. That makes and, sense, because it's a it, fungus. It's a fungus, yeah. When it becomes problematic, and it does, is when you have a really foggy summer, which in Germany can happen a lot, because <laughs> all the vineyards sit right on rivers. Not all, but the good ones. Yeah. And then in the areas where you wanted to make dry wine, you can start to get botrytis, and then that's when winemakers have to start making a decision of, do I try and start cutting it out? Do I let it go and hope there's enough to make dessert wine and give up on the still wine? Or in some cases, they'll just abandon the vineyard for the year and oh, wow. it's just not worth the labor. Wow. What are the characteristics that Petritus brings to, to um, the wines? Certainly there's a, a really forward honey character. I'm trying to think, like acacia honey. I, really flavorful. But then it's got kind of a funk underneath that's the botrytis. Um, it's almost yeasty, but not in a savory way. I don't know if that makes sense. But, yeah. you know, I mean, you can have yeast donuts. Or, yeah, <laughs> brioche. Yeah. And it changes the mouthfeel somehow. It's different than when you have, like, ice wine or, you know, just very late harvest, but that wasn't affected that way. Yeah. Um, Does it make it more or less viscous? Much more. Much more. Yeah. I know the example that I've always heard in Bordeaux, think one standard row of grapes in a really good house, like Lafitte, gets you about, I think it's 20 cases. And at Chateau de Chem, which is kind of the, the king of making Botrytis wines, a row of grapes will get you maybe 10 bottles. Wow. So, I mean, there's quite a cost to, to make it. <laughs> right. You know, you're, you're using a lot of land to not get a lot of, of wine. And then the last one with German wine is that you can get um, ice wine, which if you're expecting a cold winter, you know, you leave the grapes on the vines and it, it literally is, it, they're pressed when frozen. So they're harvested at night and in these little towns will ring bells when the vineyards are starting to freeze ah. and everybody just comes out and helps. It's really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's how they do uh, ice wine and, um, and the ice, or ice cider and the, uh, I can't remember what the ice pear one's called in Quebec. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, they, they yeah. do the same thing. They let it, they let the fruit freeze on the trees. And, yeah. And you get like this super intense syrup almost. But now having said all that, <laughs> <laughs> um, those categories of like, I mean, if you're in Baron Alsace or Trocken Baron Alsace, it, it's going to be, it's dessert wine. Right. No, no way anything else. But Cabernet, Spätlese, and Auslese, they're not actually measures of sweetness, they're measures of must weight. So it's measures of potential alcohol. So you can have a Spätlese and use a certain kind of yeast and take it to 8%, which is what we're gonna have, <laughs> um, and it stays darn sweet. You can ferment it to dry and get it to 14%. Wow. And have it be dry and really viscous and alcohol forward. Huh. Um, and Cabernet is the exact same way. You can have them bone dry, and I mean really bone dry, all the way to pretty darn sweet. And again, these laws change, so I can't remember the percentages, but as you harvest, only, you know, 7% of your crop can go into Baranauslese, and 
12% and Aus... So you might have all these Auslese weight grapes, or ripened, riped grape, ripened grapes, that you then declassify down to your Spätlese, and then you declassify oh. Spätlese into Cabernet. And so it's what makes vintages in Germany more important a lot of times huh. is... Because if you know it was a really ripe year, just assume everything is a step higher than what it says on the label. Because they're not allowed to. And because that goes for everybody? That, for everybody. Really? Yeah. What's, what's the rationale there? Who knows? The Germans. It, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people think the French love their bureaucracy. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I remember I was talking with one of the world's great Riesling winemakers, Willy Brunnermeyer in Austria, and I said, do you have any laws like that about, you know, where, what you have to, because we are not German. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I said, there's one other thing I would point out just with Austrian and German wine bottles look almost identical. They use that same style of bottle. The labels are all in German. The words are pretty similar. Austria doesn't make sweet. They make bone dry wines and they make dessert wine. Okay. But nothing off dry? No. Okay. I mean, there's really rare exceptions. So I had a question actually, because you mentioned, you mentioned something about depending on which yeast you use. Yeah. So are they actually adding yeast to these and not using just what's on the skins? Um, In general, there's not enough. Huh. Uh, And I I don't know why, what it is climate wise or. Interesting. Might have something to do with how what uh, the huge elevations they grow at. I, I, I don't know. But yeah, they almost always have to inoculate. Is that just in Germany, or is it even American Rieslings have to do that too? No. American Riesling, pretty much everywhere they're growing, it's very ripe. Germany, okay. huh. up until very recently, was <clears throat> the northernmost wine-growing region in the world. That was as high as you could grow wine. Now it's the south of England. Right. right? just because everything's warming up. Yeah. So and I, I think that will also change some of the styles because when you've got riper grapes, you you know, you take a different approach. Right. Is Germany the only major country then where that's at, where yeast is added? Because that's no, kind of... No. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, that's sort of I, one of those, you know, one of those things about particularly high-end wine is you know, it's just grapes, you know, and they get everything yeah. else from... But <laughs> no, are they adding mega purple to like you know? Are they, uh, uh, well, I mean, I, I know plenty of hundred dollar California cabs that add mega yeah. purple. Oh, there you go. Um, but they uh, we should explain that mega oh. purple is a uh, is an additive that it just makes it really purple, right? Yeah, it, it, it's food coloring. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but it looks really dark and <laughs> and mega purple. Yeah, and you know. In Burgundy, they always say, oh, we don't chaptalize, we don't chaptalize, which is to add sugar oh, right. to bring up the alcohol. Drive around Burgundy at harvest, and you will see huge bags of sugar sitting outside <laughs> of every winery. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it, they just need to do it. And yeah. I don't know why you don't just say, yeah, we do it. But I, I, I don't mind those kind of additives that are natural, the way that I do something like mega purple or using a centrifuged or reverse osmosis to alter your alcohol levels or adding, I mean, there are, there are very famous American Chardonnays that actually add, f- like, chemical flavoring. Really? Yes. Like artificial butter? Yeah. No way. Yeah. Wow. I mean, like oak extract, like you would get vanilla extract. Huh. Um, one of them that, that is very famous 
it was interesting because when the, the owner sold his winery for quite a lot of money, <laughs> um, but originally wasn't going to give them, though, his recipe for, say, oh, no, no, you get the winery and, uh, but, you know, you don't get my chemist. And they were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he got more money out of it. <laughs> okay, so what are we, what are we going to try next? Are we still yeah. in Germany or are we going uh, somewhere actually else? Actually, we're going to go to Washington. Oh, to Washington. Which well, seems to be like the place in the U.S. where Riesling is sort of the most, except for maybe like Finger Lakes. I was at Finger Lakes. Actually, the North Fork of Long Island grows some really good Riesling. Oh, interesting. Uh, and Oregon. I've had a few from Virginia that were passable, <laughs> but... But it's, I, in general, it, it, it seems I, like it's more of a northern grape. Yeah, it is. What temperatures and what climactic conditions is it like? It, the longer and cooler your growing season you can have, the better for Riesling. Oh, so you're saying we could do it here? Um, <laughs> no, no. Well, actually, our, actually our, our growing season is tiny, so... Well, right, and there's too much sun. Oh, okay. Get in I think it, it likes to get hot during the day, or, or warm during the day, mm -hmm. and then really cold at night. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which I guess, well, maybe southeast. Yeah, that that would probably work better. So, so this is a wine from Dowsett family, which is just a really cool small winery in Walla Walla. Before we before yeah. we get into actually talking about it, because one thing I do I do know about American Rieslings is that their labels aren't as specific as German, so you don't always oh, no. really know what you're gonna get. Nope. And that's actually one thing, I, I love this wine. I hate the fact that it's only in tiny lettering on the back in the middle of a paragraph that it says that it's dry. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like there's Put a it thing- on the label. <laughs> I feel like there's a thing where like, there's such an expectation that Riesling is gonna be sweet that people who like sweet wines- Right. Wanna have a Riesling, and the people that hate sweet wines don't, don't. want to have a Riesling. <laughs> but then a lot of them, you know, you give them something and it's like, it's not what they're expecting. And all of a sudden, you know, they're getting this like super acidic, you know, right. oh, yeah. and they were expecting like <laughs> Blue Nun or, right. you know. It is funny because there, again, are some, mm. isn't that good? Ooh. And, and it's very and unexpected. It's, and the fact that it's a 2016, I think, is really nice. Mm. Um, mm. That That little bit of age comes through really well and... Actually, that's a, one other comment to make about Riesling is that it is probably one of, one of two of the longest lived grapes or wines out there. And I think most people would be surprised that they're both white. Um, but Riesling and Gruner hmm. will outlast Bordeaux hands down. Really? What, what, why? Um, the natural acidity. Yeah, this wine the, is super tart. Yeah, the amount of sugar, which actually does act as a preservative. Right. And I think that's about, that's really it. But I mean, I, yeah. I've had, I've had Gruners that were a hundred years old that got hidden away during the war and they were incredible. I mean, if you had not told me, I would have said, I don't know, they're 15 or 20 years old. Like mm. they've got a little age. <laughs> but they were no. still vibrant. Oh, completely. Yeah. And again, it's not going to be true for every, you know, St. Michelle Riesling, you know, which is perfectly fine everyday drinking, you know, right. for 10 bucks, but I wouldn't put that in the cellar. <laughs> this one's very citrusy, like kind of almost like tangerines. Mm-hmm. There's a almost bitter almondy thing in the finish, but... It's a very long finish. Yeah. Very long. It reminds me, and I think I'm sealing this line from Terry last week, <laughs> um, but uh, if you were taking um, taking zest off of, like, a lemon or a tangerine or something, and got a decent chunk of the pith as well. Mm -hmm. 
So you get that really vibrant fruit, but then you get that undertone of slightly bitter, yeah. kind of pucker factor, it's which very, is nice. It's <laughs> super complex, you know, yeah. much more so than than a lot of than a lot of even very good white wines, you know, that tend to be a little, you know, a little more straightforward. You know, this is like there's a lot going on here. Oh yeah, and I think that's one of the things, especially you know when you get. And this is still not getting expensive. It's twenty bucks, but it's what makes them super food friendly. Is that there's so many different aspects to them that they can pull from lots of different areas. Mm -hmm. Also, and I mean this this is not that, but a little bit of residual sugar. I'm not saying going all the way to like the spätlaser that we're gonna have yeah. at the end helps a lot of food. Anything with spice, right? But you know, a, a, an off dry riesling with. Uh, Thai curries or actually with Mexican food is really good. I have a hard time not having a beer, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one thing too I've always heard about Riesling is that even even Riesling with a fair amount of sugar, because the, acid, the acidity is so high, like they won't seem like they're as sweet. As right. Sometimes even something with less sugar that just doesn't have as much acid. So what do we got here? So this is taking a big step up, Ooh. but. Just because I want to. This must be. I, uh, this must be German. It is. It is. <laughs> uh, but and this is so. Another new category in German is Erstelage, which means Grand Cru. So they've went through and rated right. vineyards, but only in the Mosul. <laughs> and oh, and now the Naha. <laughs> like I, it's it's so random. What are the principal German wine making areas? So along the Rhine, you have the Rheingau and the Rhine Hessen. And then you got wines from along the Mosul River, which are probably the most famous. Those are the ones um, I'm the most familiar with. Yeah, I mean, also, th there's a huge amount of, like, wine growing is all they do. <laughs> um, this is all, like, Western Germany, right? Yes. Close to the border with France? Yeah, not at the very end of it. Okay. But it, it goes inland pretty far. It, it's a long region. Okay. Um, and then when you go south from there, you get into the Naha, uh, which is actually probably my favorite region in Germany, and the Faltz. I've always loved wines from the Faltz, but now as things have warmed up, it was kind of the warmest good growing region in Germany. And now those wines are starting to get a little out of whack. Hmm. Um, just, How so? Know, they're getting a lot riper, and I think, you know, one thing about German wineries is that you don't have fly-in winemakers. Generally, you, what does that mean? you oh, you know, there are winemakers in California that make wines for twelve wineries, okay, or and fly to France and make wine, <laughs> that, you know, and and that that's all well and good, but they tend to be the people who are very very good at chemistry and they have a, a set way of doing things. In Germany, what you generally get is you know, sixth generation, seventh generation. I can I have a really hard time thinking of a winery that that I like that isn't in that kind of category. And so they have very traditional ways of doing things. And I think things have changed so much so quickly that it's maybe more of an adjustment period because you're not the expert chemist or, mm. you know, you can't, they may not, it's not in their history to manipulate things. Right. But I'm sure they'll catch up. <laughs> um, and also, what a lot of them are doing now, and it's actually really neat, is uh, they're planting um, Pinot Noir, and it's delicious. I've had some German Pinot Noir, and it yeah. is delicious. Yeah, 
I've had some German white Pinot Noir, which was yeah, really good, surprisingly delicious. <laughs> so this is from Schlossgut Deal, um, just an absolutely dynamite producer. Uh, this is their Grand Cru Schlossberg. Uh, this is from the Naha, and so Schlossberg just means Castle Mountain. So this is the vineyard behind and up the hill from the, where their castle is, <coughs> which. I mean, the castle in the same way as you would say chateau in France, not. <laughs> 2018 Riesling Trocken. VDP, what is VDP? Um, oh, what is it? God, I can't think of the V now, but it's Deutsches Prädikat, yeah. which is who certifies the Erstelaga part. Oh, okay. Because, you know, you can't have one board certify everything. <laughs> and then you're going to get certified organic, and then, you know. But this, I think, is a really good example of the subtlety that exists in German Riesling it, in the nose. Wow. And then it's explosive. Wow. <laughs> That's bracing. Mm -hmm. That is delicious. Yeah. And it, it's funny because I would have people at the Marx Brothers or the Crow's Nest all the time asking, you know, hey, uh, I need to pair something. Those are some people. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. No, 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 I'm just, ah. I'm, I'm lost. Oh, no, no, I got so, you. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I only drink white wine, but I'm going to have a steak. Mm. Drink Riesling. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, oh, I, I shouldn't have Chardonnay. It's like, no. <laughs> one of my, actually not one of my, probably my favorite wine importer in, in, in the States is a uh, guy called Terry Thies. He's based out of New York, and I've been lucky enough to meet him a bunch of times, and we've hung out. But two of these wines are imported by him. This is one of them. Yeah. Um, he actually went over there to pursue a rock career and fell in love with German wines oh. and now imports just German wines, Austrian wines, and champagnes. But I love the story he tells of being at one of those giant walk-around tastings in New York, you know, for the public, probably like the Spectator Grand Experience or something. And he was parked right next to, again, a pretty famous California Chardonnay and a woman looked at his table and said, I, I don't like, I don't, I don't drink sweet wines. And so went and then drank this other one that I know has at least 12 grams per liter of residual <laughs> sugar. And so he grabbed a bottle, an empty bottle of theirs, filled it up um, with with a dry Riesling, and it's no, no, come try the. We, we do have one Chardonnay, <laughs> and she tastes it, and she's like, that is amazing. And he said, yeah, the best Chardonnays are from a, re, a, a vineyard called Riesling. <laughs> <laughs> This is like, it's almost like spicy. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, it's really like, it, it, it's working the, the sides of my tongue really hard. And it's almost like, it's strange because it's almost like the flavor is somehow separate from the liquid, if that makes sense. You know, it, it's you know ethereal. I mean? Yeah. 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 Like it's, it's, it's so aromatic and so, and it's, and it's not at all like heavy or, mm. but you know what it feels like? I feel like I am getting a little taste of that of that that famous uh, the famous descriptor that often, so often goes along with with Riesling, which is uh, diesel. Yes, there's a little <laughs> bit of it. I'm getting a little bit of it. This really and I, like, I know it, there, it really turns some people off, and I am really not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it especially comes out as they get older. Okay. I mean, this is this is obviously not that, but yeah. Um, 
I, I was lucky enough to, when I worked at the Marx Brothers, uh, Van, the owner, had a really nice collection of Riesling from the 70s and 80s. And whenever he, he'd open up a bottle, he always shared, which was an awesome learning experience. Um, you, you, really, you do get that petroly note, but I don't know. I, maybe part of it is I don't find the smell of gas like horrific or anything. Yeah, I know no, people I, that it, it really, smells great. <laughs> yeah, like I'm fine with it. Yeah. But it, but it's not quite that. No, it's like it, it's more like a volatile like like flavor. You know, like you just get this yeah. like there's almost there's this sudden like blast of like like this top yeah. end sort of like it, it, and it does feel sort of explosive and yeah you know and then it passes and it kind of resolves into some. A bunch of other things, yeah. which this is and, this is really taxing my wine vocabulary. Yeah. This one, you know, so where I'm like, oh man, there's a lot happening here. Actually, a great line from Terry Thies, and I, I've always liked it because when I write wine descriptors, and I will of course put in you know peaches and apricots, but he in the introduction to, and if you want to learn more about Riesling or Champagne or Gruner. Um, Terry Thies' T-E-R-R-Y-T-H-E-I-S-E. Search for his catalogs. He puts out a catalog of his wines every year. And there's a good 40 pages on German wine and Austrian wine and champagne at the beginning of each catalog. Mm. And then more descriptors of every region as you get there. And um, it's it's awesome. But he, he describes his philosophy of writing wine notes as why on earth would you care if I told you that it takes, like, apple and pickled pig snout? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would much rather somebody had told me, told me that it dances like Gandhi would have danced had there been discos in Calcutta. And, I was like, and to me, this is kind of that. Mm. <laughs> Though I will say, I very much do not have his same <laughs> creative vocabulary. It's so multidimensional, you know? There's... It's very different at the beginning than it is at the end. But somehow you but still real, remember the beginning, you know? Sometimes, like, the well, beginning seems to... Just fade off. Yeah. And it's got a really great stony quality that I don't think we've mentioned. I mean, that mineral in there mm. is... You know, something almost crystalline about it. So I know that this is actually one of those things that, that, that people do make a big deal with about Riesling is, in particular... I mean, they make a big deal about it with, with a lot of wines, but yeah. in Riesling, like... Like they'll actually put on the bottle things like blue slate, and that's like yeah, oh the yeah. classic yep. things that that matters so much. So, what is it about the the particular soil in Germany that's most of the great wine growing regions in Germany? Though I'll also say this is true for like parts of Washington and Oregon too. Well, Washington more than Oregon. These are really stony, really steep mountains, so rain runs off incredibly quickly there's maybe an inch of topsoil hmm. and you're going right into stone. Wow. And so Riesling roots can go down, I think they say like 30 meters in some vineyards. Wow. Yeah, I mean, we're, you're talking about 100-year-old vines at that point. Yeah. But So they're tapping into all of this water and bringing it up through all this stone. And so it really takes in a lot of what's around it. Um, the same can actually be said for like Syrah when it's growing in the Northern Rhone. They, they have to dig really deep. One, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons you wouldn't want to do that, which is, it's just harder. The amount of time it takes before you can get, start getting good quality wines out of, out of vines is forever. Mm. <laughs> but most of these vines have been there a very long time. Right. And you know, you're maybe replacing 
20 a year out of your 2,000, so it's not. It, it was an issue back in the day, but I don't think they were worried about land prices when these vineyards <laughs> were being planted. But the final product from that is something that is far more expressive of the place that it comes from. Whereas, and this by no means to diss Napa wines, but there you've got really fertile soil and lots of sun, and it's easy to grow. Right. And so that's why there, what you have to do is end up going in and cutting off tons of leaves because when the plant's healthy, what it wants to do is grow. And so it puts all of its effort into the foliage. When it's really stressed, it wants to recreate or procreate, I should say. Right. Um, and that's when it focuses on, on grapes. Hmm. And so if you didn't have that kind of vineyard management in in hotter climates, I mean, that's true of Spain and um, southern Italy. If you don't cut them back, you're not going to get many grapes at all, and they're not going to be well-developed because the vine's not worried. <laughs> well, I've always heard that, too. Isn't uh, Champagne and Burgundy yeah. both have sort of yes. famously rocky soil? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, most of the, I mean, when you think of leaner, higher acid, higher mineral qual- content wines, that, that's the reason for it. Yeah, you can even get that from the South Island of New Zealand with some stuff, which is cool. Yeah, I, I've, I've always liked the analogy of thinking of grapes like kids. You know, when they're really spoiled, they don't turn out that well. <laughs> <laughs> which I've probably said to some customers I shouldn't have. <laughs> That's a hard wine to put down. So I will just note at this point, we've done three out of the five wines and nothing's had residual sugar. No, none of them, I would say, or yeah. in fact, I would I would put, say all of them are pretty tart. Pretty tart. Yeah. And I do feel like I've been really happy here in Homer that I've gotten a good number of people turned on. Like, no, I swear, try it. Try yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't like it, bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get you something you like. Is that just because... For so many years, the only Riesling that anybody knew was Blue Nun. Blue Nun or Liebfrau Milch. I mean, like, yeah. The stuff we have in cat bottles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I okay. recognize this is Montnor State. They're Oregon, right? They're Oregon, yep. Okay, yep. 100% organically farmed, and I think if they weren't the first in Oregon to be certified as that, um, they were certainly <coughs> one of the first. Mm-hmm. Um, and have been for quite some time. Are they in Willamette Valley? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's very different from very. the others. Extremely different. Yeah. Like much more honeyed. Well, you're getting you're getting a heck of a lot riper, and they're they're still leaving residual sugar in this. So this is what they label as their almost dry riesling. Right. Off dry. Um, yeah, I mean that in German, if you saw it on the label, would be halbtrocken, which means half dry. Okay. Although normally that means a lot closer to dry <laughs> than, than not. Also, I think in this wine you definitely, and I find this in, in riper climate Rieslings, you get that petroly note much sooner in their development. Um, oh yeah. I, and, I don't, and I don't know why. It's a big, but, yeah, it's definitely there in this one. Yeah. Big time. Big time. Yeah, it's like, it's like you added just a little hint of, hint of diesel to the big jug of like apple and Honey, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. I think of this one as well. I'd be happy to sit around with Doctor L any day, just. But where the two dry reasons I think are both 
on their own, they can come across as a little shrill. I think after you have a little bit, yeah. you get used to it. But but put it with food, and you're golden. Right. Whereas when you're getting up into these sweeter realms, there's tons of food they go really well with. But it's also, you know, I want a glass of wine after I walk the dog. Right. <laughs> And I, I don't, yeah. I don't want to sit and make a pork loin. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not hard to drink. It's the kind of thing that that's kind of a good way of putting it because you would pay attention to it when you when you drank it, and you wouldn't immediately forget about it. Like, right. You know, I mean, a lot of like low end, you know, sort of mediocre. You just kind of chug it, and you don't really remember it, and you put it aside. Yeah, no, it, it's it's still <laughs> it's very really, satisfying. It's very well made. Yeah, it's very satisfying. It's fifteen bucks, and I think we've had it on sale before for eleven. I mean that. I'm more than happy with that. <laughs> those at that price. Do they make a? Do they make a dry as well? No. Then they make a sweet. Oh, okay. I think, and I, this is changing a little bit because there are wineries in California and Washington and Oregon that are focusing on dry riesling, or, or if they make a riesling, that's what they're making. Yeah. But for a long time, because the conventional wisdom was that riesling is sweet, it's blue none. That's what domestic winemakers made, right? Because that's what they thought everybody was expecting. Yeah. Now that's changing, but it's slow to change. So in general, then, do you, would you say that you know the average American Riesling would be sweeter yeah. than the oh the average sure. German? Yeah, I would. Okay. Which is funny because I bet a lot of people would assume the opposite, and Germans really don't. They don't drink the sweet ones very often at all. There. Hmm. They drink stuff that is so bone dry. Like, I really like dry wines, <laughs> but these are really intense. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah, there's. I mean, even that, even the the the, the sparkling riesling here. I mean, it's 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 bracing. Yeah, no, know? it, it like, is. It really is. You take a sip and you're like, whoa! It's definitely got a little edge to it. This does not. This is just. Mm. This is super mellow. But it's it's not Kool Aid. No, it's delicious. There's a lot. There's there's a lot going on. There's a lot it's going on, enjoyable. and there's still acid to balance out mm-hmm. the sweetness. But it's definitely softer and rounder. But the finish is still nice and long. I mean, it it's a well made wine. It's strange, you know, that 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 we gravitate towards these sweeter rieslings over here because we we don't really have like a particularly strong dessert wine tradition in the no. in the U.S. You know, which is what I mean. Presumably in Germany, when they do drink the sweet ones, they are drinking them as dessert uh, wine. Sweet, sweet, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's odd. And I, but it's, I think I've said this on the show before, so I'm sure you'll cut it out, but mo- a lot of Europeans, when they're looking at the American palate, like, I know Clicquot, when they put, release champagne into France, the dosage is four grams per liter. And when they release it into the States, it's 12. Really? Yeah, it's different where depending on where you drink it. Huh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and twelve is the maximum you can do and still call it brute. So right, um, that definitely Clico has more residual sugar than this. Wow. Huh. Yeah, if you let it go flat and let it get warm and taste it, you're like, wow, that is sweet. <laughs> <laughs> where do you find the the residual sugar information? It's never on the label. You just got to know. A lot of times the websites will have it. Mm. I mean, because most, most wineries now, I mean, unless they're tiny, have tech sheets. Right. That, that you can put, you know, 
yeah, one so that anybody can look it up, but also they're well made and printable so that if you know you want to hang it up in the store, right? And residual that. sugar that just means the sugar that's left over after the fermentation happens. Exactly. Yep, that's it. Um, so then, in the in the case of of who is it? Sorry, Clico. Do they add sugar or do they just ferment it less? Well, in the, in the champ- case of champagne, they're adding because oh, such right. a cold climate is dosage. Yeah. So it's just the amount that they put in there. Okay. But yeah, because before that, they're pretty well close to dry. Okay. I mean, they, there might there might be a tiny bit hanging around, but there's so low alcohol before you add dosage, and they still stay low alcohol. Mm-hmm. Even riper, bigger champagne is still going to be like 12, 12 and a half percent. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm wondering what the zect is. 12 and a half. Yeah. All right, and then we can finish with another wine from Terry Thies. <laughs> this is from Johann Strube, and this is a Spätleser uh, from Nierstreiner Hipping. One, just so that you know, um, when you say like... Oh good, I'm Nier- glad you're getting to this. <laughs> Nierstreiner Hipping, the, anything that ends in the ER, that's the town that it's from. Right. So it's from Nierstein. Um, and then Hipping is the name of the vineyard. Okay. Um, I'm glad we got to that because that is one of those one of those things that the first the first good bottles of Riesling I ever had. I spent all this time trying to puzzle out. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Why is it called Ochfinner Bockstein? What does yeah, that mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ooh. This is a very light nose, but intense, but not heavy at all. Sweet wine, <laughs> may, I mean. And this is not, I was going to say off dry, but this is sweet. Not dessert sweet, but it's sweet. When it's made well, it's still not heavy and cloying. No. Mm. Mm. It's definitely sweet. Yeah, but, but it is not. It finishes oh, yeah. perfectly clean. It's delicious. Yeah. I love wines like this to show people, like, it doesn't have to be Kool Aid. <laughs> <laughs> we have such a stigma about it, you know, and I, I'm. Which I'm not sure why, because so many so many of our homegrown wines are, you know, much sweeter than also similar styles. You know, from how many elsewhere. people drink Coke? Yeah, <laughs> or you know, which is also I mean, it's the same balance of like intensely sweet and a ton of acid. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> which is why it could be so 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 sweet. You know, like I mean, you wouldn't be able to eat 50 grams of sugar or whatever it is that <laughs> comes in a Coke. Yeah, <laughs> without a Pretty heaping amount of, uh, of yeah, acid. I would say probably at least double what's in this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't look up the GPL on this, but it. I, w- I would think it's in the mid 20s, but that's still. Oh, it's definitely not like dessert wine no. at all. And man, this with some spicy anything that's, like this is Indian or. Yeah. So much of the sweetness is at the beginning. Yeah. You know? And the acid cleans it up. Yeah, it's very exciting when you first have it. And then just as it's kind of starting to be, man, this is kind of sweet, all of a sudden it starts to sort of morph into, you know, well, a different... And there, and there is that thing that now they've kind of, they've walked back from a little bit, but I don't know if you remember, you know, 10th grade biology where they were talking, here's where taste buds are right. in zones on your mouth. Right. And sh- sugar's right up front. Yeah. And acids all down the sides and in your cheeks. Right. So it would make sense that you get the hit of sweet first, and then that acid cleans it up. Yeah. Turns out it's not exactly it's, true. No, it's not. <laughs> but 
but it does. But, it but does. It, it feels it, that it way. Feels that way. You know, this, and yeah. it definitely one of the one of the things that that I the difference in in when I'm like, oh, this is just some whatever wine that I'm just having because yeah. I'm having a glass of wine, and versus something where I'm paying attention is that that is the difference. Is that the whatever stuff you drink it goes through. You're like, great, that was nice. Whatever. Yeah. You know, it's not bad. It's just oh, not yeah. particularly memorable. But then. I mean, there's some wines that there's only a handful because you know I don't have the budget for the, I, the oh, ones I you it. really remember. <laughs> but there's a few that I've had that I'm like I can still remember what they taste like, you know, right. many years oh, yeah. later. You know, because you're you're just like as soon as and, and you could be like in the middle of having a conversation with somebody, blah blah blah, and you pick up the glass and you're not even really thinking about it, and all of a sudden you take it and it's like I don't care yeah. about anything. You guys are not in the picture right now. Let me just enjoy this for a second, you know, and it makes you sit up and notice because there are so many different dimensions to it. And I also, I, I will say, and I, I say this to people a lot, because it's like, well, we normally drink, you know, 10 to $15, but it's my, our anniversary, so I want to spend like 150 and I'm like, don't. It's too big of a jump. Yeah. Go to 50 and, you know, try that a couple of times, have one for Christmas and kind of get a better feel for what you like in that because what Cabernet tastes like at $10 <laughs> and at 50 is very different. And, and, but that's true for just about everything. Yeah. Um, and, and you also open up a lot more options when you get it even up to 20. And taking those steps just every now and then, we're not paying to go out to eat anymore, <laughs> um, is a really good way to expand the, your palate. But it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't have to be a ton. But I think it's smart to take in, incremental steps because I do... I, I have had enough people that, uh, when I was 25 or something, and they're like, yeah, no, we want to we really step it up. Oh, man, I've got this great $150 bottle. Yeah. And they come in, they're like, it was okay. Yeah. And it's, Without the but, frame of reference, it's yeah, hard we, to really... You don't know, yeah, there's, there's I don't know. I, I think about, like, cars that way. I could care less. <laughs> Give me a $200,000 car. Yeah. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> but... Wine, I care. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to ask because um, you know we just had we just had five, but three were German, and one was Oregon, one was Washington. Yep. Because there's kind of a glaring uh, absence of one of the major. Well, there, there, there's two, I would say. Oh well, you're you're probably going to count Austria. I am. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking all Aust- Oh, or Australia grows a ton. Do they? Yeah, okay. and actually, really good Riesling in the Eden Valley which is like the coolest part of the Barossa. I was, I was looking for an Alsace to pull. We, we don't we have don't that have, many. We don't, yeah. I, uh, getting Alsace wine in Alaska is just yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, I know. And you know, it's, it's one of those deals where like the only ones that I've ever really had were when I was not in Alaska. Right. And then, and I've always loved them because they're, they're very different, you know? They're, oh, for sure. And it's hard to, because I don't have enough experience with them to really be able to understand exactly the difference. But they're like, they're also very, very dry for the most oh, part. For the most part. Although that it's funny because in, in Alsace that's changing now too. I think partially with the weather, but you look at a producer like Zintumbrecht and their wines used to be pretty darn dry like 20 years ago. Yeah. They are not anymore. <laughs> I, they're fantastic, but it's just, it's funny because I've bought them a few times, you know, again, out of state. <laughs> and just been like, oh, Ooh, that's that's different than it used to be. Huh. I still incredible. <laughs> why is it so difficult to get like Alsatian wines outside of well, it you know, I mean, why do they make it up to Alaska and why aren't they more 
well known among, you know, the Riesling. You know, I honestly don't know the answer because I think most wine people I know, I mean, Skip certainly, or yeah. but pretty much every, all the wine guys I knew in Anchorage, or wine men and women, I should say, um, we all love Alsace wines. Yeah. I do think sometimes you run into a problem of restaurants tend to really focus on hiring somebody with broad wine knowledge to run their programs. Mm -hmm. The distributors <laughs> don't, always. Right. I mean, they, but I get it. They've got this huge, massive book, and if it's only going to sell five cases, it's just not worth their time. And yeah. it should be worth their time. <laughs> Um, and luckily, there's another small distributor that, that is growing and growing right now, and all with cool stuff. Actually, that's where the Dowsett family came from. It's actually awesome because uh, their main salesperson lives in Homer. We're, we've been getting access to a lot of cool stuff, and also because they're small, we've been able to reach out for stuff, um, like for our wine club, that they weren't necessarily going to bring in and keep in stock, but if we want four cases, sure. Yeah. You know, it'll yeah. be a month, but right. I, I can wait a month. <laughs> they, they've been getting a bunch of really cool domestic producers, Australian and South American. I think it's European that they're, they're just starting to pull from now. I mean, there are certainly some. Yeah. But, but no, Al Alsace is something that we need to, to work on. <laughs> Austria, too, for that matter. Um, we actually, there are some, some really good Australian Rieslings that get brought in. We just don't have any right now. <laughs> yeah. Austrian wines don't seem to get... They don't seem to it, make much of an impact. Not up here. Yeah. It's funny, though, because they were considered, like... When I was working in New York, it was right at the end of the Austrian wine craze. And so you go to recommend... Like, oh, another sommelier recommending Gruner. <laughs> and like, hey, I just got here. <laughs> <laughs> um but it's, it had actually been a really huge thing there. But then you find places like Terroir that had eight Rieslings and eight Grunners on by the glass and like a Pinot. And I love that place. <laughs> They're really cool. But I, I, I think in New York, well, New York is just a trend-driven town. Right. So it's like, wait, a couple of cool restaurants are doing it? Well, we got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I think that's not always the best <laughs> No. The best way to make decisions. No, that's not necessarily <laughs> how you build a lasting culture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was big on the East Coast. And, I mean, even working in Virginia, I sold a ton of it. Hmm. Um, and actually, surprisingly, and this was like, God, it was almost 20 years ago, when I was managing the Crow's Nest, I sold a fair amount of it. Hmm. But I think that had a lot to do with the fact that the clientele in the crow's nest is probably about 50% local, 50% international. Well, travelers from wherever, but a lot of international. And the folks that choose to stay at the cook and eat upstairs have just been to a lot of cool. I'm sure, you know, they've eaten in a bunch of good restaurants and have uh, are been exposed to more. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's hard to create a culture around these wines when two of them come into the state. Like... <laughs> Here, you're going to love this. So what's next? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> you can have another bottle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, do you have any final thoughts on, on oh, Riesling? Only to say, don't make assumptions about what you, what's going to be in the bottle because it really does 
completely run the gambit. And if you're in a place like, you know, a restaurant that has somebody who's wine, knowledgeable about wine or you're here at the Grog, ask. Because we can decipher labels. <laughs> um, German is such an intimidating language on a label, you know? It is, oh, trust me. <laughs> much, more, much more than any of the others, you know? From French and Italian, even when you don't know what they mean, you're like, oh, that sounds lovely, but then, you know, you're... Yeah. <laughs> the thing that, when I go back, I'll, I'll, I get it back. Um, not to full fluency, but I can get around just fine talk, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I'll go to wineries, and it is one thing that's funny, a lot of wine country, if you're in any city, everybody speaks English. Just period. Yeah. At wineries, the older winemakers, none of them do. Hmm. Um, mo- mo- almost always their kids do. But I'll be like, I'm okay. And, but then it'll be like, I want to ask about microoxygenation. And I'm like, <laughs> and I was like, why don't I know that word? Because you left when you were in sixth grade or fifth grade, whatever. <laughs> like, you never learned any of these terms. Like, I know I'm in French. <laughs> well, it's German, so if you probably just smash a couple of German words together, yep. then... You're going to be close enough. <laughs> Check the Pantry is a production of KBBI AM 890 in Homer, Alaska. It's produced and hosted by Jeff Lockwood. Today's guest was Patrick Driscoll from The Grog Shop. The Grog Shop also provided the wines. The theme music is String Quartet Opus 10, Movement 2 by Claude Debussy, performed by Quator Ebain. This is the fourth episode of the winter 2021-22 season of Check the Pantry. Support for Check the Pantry comes from The Grog Shop Wine Club, which each month provides members with two or three bottles of unique wines that are currently unavailable in the Homer market. These wines are curated by Patrick Driscoll, who's worked at Michelin star restaurants in New York and is the only level three sommelier in Alaska. More information at 235-5101. Additional support for this season of Check the Pantry comes from Bay Realty. Bay Realty has been listing and selling homes, lots, acreage, multifamily, commercial properties, and property management in the Southern Kenai Peninsula since 1974. Learn more and view current listings at bayrealtyalaska.com or by calling 235-6183. Your financial donation as a listener makes this and other KBBI programs possible. Visit the KBBI public radio website at kbbi.org support to help produce programs like this.